Everybody happy to be here on the second Sunday of 2020? Yeah? Awesome. Anybody, everybody seems a little, maybe a little tired. I hope you're not too tired. I know the weather was a little uh, crummy yesterday, but uh, I, for one, am thrilled to see each one of you here. I believe that God brought you here for a reason. I know you might think that you're the one who got yourself here. Uh, you might think that you got yourself out of bed or your wife or your parents dragged you here this morning, but I know better. I know that our God is sovereign, and I believe that you're here for a reason. I believe that you're, here to, you're, you're in this house today to hear something, to see something, to have a real intangible encounter with the Lord. And I hope that's already happened in the first part of this gathering time. And if not, uh, my prayer is that, that, that you would just lean in over the next 30 or 40 minutes that we have left today and that you would allow God to speak into your soul. Uh, I hope that you open your mind and your heart because I believe that God has something for all of us today. So uh, before we get into this message this morning, uh, I want to I pause and I want to talk a little bit. Uh, I want to take a few moments to talk about the 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so we're in the, uh, we're in, we just finished kind of the first third of the 21 days. We just finished the first seven days. Today, today's actually day number seven. And so um, I don't know about you, but I, these first seven days have already been incredible for me. Like, they've already been really, really great. I have already seen my intentionality go up when it comes to reading and meditating on the Word. I've already seen uh, my, my prayer life get a little bit more richer and more consistent. And, and, and so I want to let you know that if you haven't jumped in yet, if you haven't gotten involved yet, now is the time. Right? Like, what are you waiting for? You can still jump in, still get involved. Maybe you weren't here for the first week, or maybe, maybe you've been on vacation, or, or you're one of our, you know, one of the Lander College students, and you've been out of town, and you don't know really what we're talking about. 21 days of prayer and fasting. There's still 14 days left, so you can still jump in, because I believe that even in 14 days, there's no limit to what God can do in the next two weeks if we pray and fast together as a body of believers. I am, I am certain that God wants to do something in your life. That he wants, to, he wants to, like, knock this idol off of his throne in your life. He wants to take back his rightful seat in somebody's life over these, these 21 days. Um, he, he wants to tear down a stronghold in, in someone's life so that his glory shines new and fresh over your face. Our God wants to mend broken hearts in this house. Come on, somebody. He wants to mend broken families and broken relationships. God wants to comfort those in distress and wants to reveal himself in those who are seeking him. But we have to posture ourselves to receive what he is wanting to give us. We have to posture our hearts, physically posture our bodies so that we can receive what God wants for us. So this is, this, is what, this is what we're all about with these 21 days of prayer and fasting. This is why we're doing it. It's not just like the trendy church plant thing to do. Uh, this is the, a biblical, God-honoring, self-humbling thing to do. And so I wonder, if you haven't already, would you join us on this journey? Maybe you was, missed a week. That's fine. Jump in. God's going to honor your efforts. Maybe you didn't go as hard as you could have last week. Maybe you only prayed two or three times and you only fasted from easy things like spam and Brussels sprouts. That's fine. You still have 14 days to change your approach and give your very best to God. And I am confident that when you give your best to God, revelation and blessings are going to flow in abundance. It says this in Isaiah 58. It says, is, is not this the fast that I chose? 
to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your house? Sorry, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then, so we're fasting, and these are the things that's going to happen. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Like, come on, somebody, that's what we want to see. Listen, fasting isn't just about taking something away in your life, something, like you, something you enjoy, like, like food or entertainment. It's about replacing those things with more of God. And when we replace them with more of God, we're going to start to look more like Jesus. We'll sound and act more like Jesus. And we're going to serve and live more like Jesus. And then there will be light. And then there will be healing. But first we have to seek the face of God above all other things. All right, we fast from the things of the world and we seek to be sustained by the one who holds the world together. And, and I'm convinced that when God's people fast with like a strong biblical motive, seeking God's face, not just his hand, but seeking his face with the right heart posture, God will hear from heaven and, and heal our lives and our church and our community. Fasting and prayer can bring about revival. Do you believe that? Are you, are you praying daily that God would move mightily in this city? I wonder, are you asking God to break your heart for the things that breaks his? Are you, are you praying for the welfare of our city and the advancement of the gospel through this church? Are you praying for personal revival and, and, and renewal within yourself? And if you are praying all of these things, are you believing God for it? Or are you doubting him like a wave of the sea blown or tossed by the wind? Are you, are you double-minded and unstable in all your ways like James 1 says? Listen, we're going to get to the topic for the day, but can I just leave you with one more thing about prayer and fasting? A lot of people ask me, um, you know, a lot of people tell me, uh, said, said this over, over the years, Pastor, I don't think God is speaking to me. Or, or if he is, like, I sure can't hear him. And if you feel like you fall into that category, let me encourage you. Try prayer and fasting for the next 14 days. Just, just try it. If you feel like you haven't heard God speak, if you feel like you can't hear God speak, just try that for the next 14 days. It's, it's, there's the, all the stuff is online. You can get legacycity.church slash 21 days. You can go there. All the stuff is there. You can, you can, so I want you just to select a method or two of fasting. I want you to download the daily prayer topics. I want you to jump in on the version Bible study. I want you to listen to the Spotify playlist. Like, do all the things. Jump in on all the stuff. Really lean into it. Because if you do, I would personally be shocked if you didn't hear from the Lord. Because when we decrease, he increases. Right? When we shut off the noise around us, his voice gets louder. Listen, I can say this with full confidence. I have always heard from the Lord more clearly when I am fasting, when I am giving something up, when there are less things fighting for my attention. So that's what I want to encourage you with. Let's, let's step into this. We still have 14 days left, and let's really go in on this prayer and fasting, and it's going to be, I think, life-changing for so many of you, and I can't wait to hear some of the stories of how God has already and will continue to move over these next couple of weeks.
All right. We started a series last week called 2020, uh, which is meant to be sort of, um, it's actually kind of like a hodgepodge sort of collection of talks. Uh, last week we covered our mission statement, and, uh, and I love crowd participation, so would you indulge me and read this aloud together, our mission statement that's going to pop up in just a second. There it is. Let's read this aloud together. We are for God and his kingdom. We are for people and this city. That's, our, that's our, our mission, that's our vision, that's what we're about, that's what we're going after. Such a simple statement packs a lot of punch, okay? Uh, this is the lens through which we do ministry. We are for God and for his kingdom. We are for people and we are for this city. It's simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be difficult. Everything we do is for God and with his kingdom in mind. And, and who does God love? People. And so we are four people and the city that he's placed us in. It's as simple as that. I think for far too long, the church has been known for what it's against, and we want to be known for what we're for. All right, God, kingdom, people, city, the next generation, the unchurched and dechurched, the last, the least, and the lost. And so today, what I want to talk about with you are a few of our cultural phrases. In fact, um, the one I just mentioned is one of our, one of our many phrases. That we want to be known for what we're for. That's one of our, our cultural phrases, and, and, and that's an example of, of, of a phrase. So uh, these, these are phrases. What do I mean by that? Like cultural phrases. These are, these are phrases that we use that helps guide and shape the culture of this church. Okay, and what do I mean by culture? Because that's a very vague thing as well. Uh, I think culture is kind of this, in a way, it's sort of this intangible idea, this idea of like, like you know, like, what is it about them, really? Or, or there's just something about this place. There, you know that intangible feeling that you have when you talk about a group of people or a place or a business or, or a church, and there, there's just this feeling about them, and that's, that's sort of the culture that's being developed. Every church has a culture, and, and we want to be intentional about ours because a culture will develop whether you try to create one or not. Like if we did nothing about the culture of this church, then we would probably end up with a culture of people who do nothing, quite honestly. Like, that's what would happen. And, and so let me, let me also go at it from this angle, because we may, not, we may not know what a good culture is, but I guarantee we all, know what a, we all know a bad culture when we see one, right? Like, we walk into a business, and it just looks like everyone hates their job. There's no pride in, in the work that they're doing. Like, that's a bad culture, right? And that starts at the top, usually, and it trickles its way down. Many of you have been in a, in a church, maybe, with a negative culture. You know, there's secrets and shadiness. There's a, there's a lot of infighting and, and posturing. Or there's just a sense of laziness and, and apathy. Like, these are all bad church cultures. And once you find yourself in that place, it's so tough to make a change. And so we're fighting against... Uh, as a church, like we don't have a lot, we're not, we're not steeped in a lot of tradition because we're only two years old, but we're fighting against sort of this overarching traditional uh, southern traditional church mentality, this, this southern church culture as a whole here at Legacy. Like we don't have anything against traditional churches. In fact, I could recommend a dozen excellent traditional churches in our community right now that, that you could go check out and be a part of, but, but that is not the church that God has called us to be, and that doesn't attract the people that God has called us to reach. And so we're fighting against this culture of, 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 just, of just showing up on Sunday, getting a little bit of Jesus, right? Saying hey to a few people and then going home and doing nothing about it and then maybe coming back again the next week. 
right? We're fighting against, we're fighting against that that's just sort of casual, uh, church-going, uh, sometimes even superficial type of, of, of believer. And we believe that there is so much more to this idea of the local church and what God has called us to be and who he has called us to reach. And so we're going to continually strive to create and, and sort of maintain this church culture that we feel like is biblical and, and it matches the vision that God has set before us. We've got a, a long way yet to go, uh, but I do believe that one of the strengths of our house is the culture. I believe that because th there's, there's a culture that's being clarified and, and talked about and inspected over and over and over again. And so we have these phrases that, that we use a lot around here. And you may not have even known that they were cultural phrases. You may have just thought they were like catchy phrases that they say a lot or annoying phrases that they say a lot or whatever. Uh, you may have just why does he always say that same phrase every single Sunday? Why is that always the thing? But that's the point. We repeat them often but so that they become sort of second nature to us. And, and we contribute in that way to the culture of the church. And so uh, we had a staff advance a few weeks ago. This is our version of a staff retreat where we go away for a day or two and we plan and we brainstorm and we learn and we grow closer uh, as a team, except we call it a staff advance because there is no retreating when it comes to God's church and the gospel, only advancing the kingdom. And so we're on this staff advance and we had a session where we talked a lot about culture and we listed out all of our cultural phrases. And it was kind of funny because some were intentional some, some we had intentionally put into place and, and set into motion, and, and, and then some were actually kind of like accidental, like, wow, we do say that a lot. You're right. That is something that's kind of developed over time, and that is something that we talk about a lot. And so here's the list that we came up with, and you'll likely recognize uh, many of them on this list, and you, you can probably like uh, think about who says one or most of these a lot and often and, and how we talk about them. I'm not going to read the whole list, but uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple on here. Um, they say we have we show up, expect it, and serve with excellence. That's one that we use with our Sunday morning serve team. So if you're part of a Sunday morning serve team, uh, you've probably heard that at some point because we believe uh, that that is what we're called to do, show up already prepared and expecting God to move and then serve with excellence so he can move through us. And so that's a, uh, a Sunday serve team one. We've got another one, uh, Discipleship Begins at birth. That's one that we use in our Legacy Littles uh, area. That's one that we believe that we begin discipling our kids right away. We begin teaching them the truths of Jesus in hopes that one day that they will just latch on to those truths and choose to follow him. And so uh, we do that. We have, uh, we don't have to, we get to. That's one of my uh, favorites. I know a lot of times we take this, it's kind of a mindset thing. We take this negative route like, oh, we have to do this. And we have to go in and serve with this thing and go do this thing. And we have but, but honestly, guys, we get to. We get to do this for the glory of the Lord. God is going to work through us and move through us, and that, that is an honor, and that is an absolute privilege. We get to do it. And so that's one of the things that I like to say. Uh, we don't have to. We get to. Another thing that we say when, in regards to, like, our leadership and, and our staff and our, uh, our servant leaders is if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. Uh, we really believe that, that if you are not ready to serve, then you're not ready to lead. And so that's one of the cultural phrases that we use. There's a bunch more on here. You, you, you've probably already read the whole list. Uh, the one at the bottom, you hear each and every Sunday, you are loved. And that's a, that, that, that might not feel like a cultural phrase, but it is because we all need to know that we are loved, that we are cared for, that there is somebody who loves us. And, and, and obviously God 
loves us. He is that person. And because God loves us, we love as well because God is love. And so there very well might be more. Maybe you can even think of one or two that we missed if you've been coming here for a while. Maybe you're like, oh, there's some other, some other things that you say a lot. But, but these are just sort of the ones that we jotted down uh, that day. And so if you'll let me, I want to pull a few of these out. And I just want to talk about them a little bit this morning, give you some scripture for them and share how they play into the fabric of our church culture and the overall vision that God has given us. So we'll go through these uh, kind of quickly so we can, uh, we, can, we can head out today in just a little while. So first things first, church is a people, not a place. Church is a people, not a place. We say this all the time. All right, you see it when you come in. I think it's on a banner out in the lobby uh, it, it, it's, it's, we have a shirt. Some people wear a shirt sometimes that says church is a people, not a place. And so, uh, it, it, it's, what is it, what does that really mean? What does that actually mean? Because when we, when the word church comes up in conversation, when we think about the word church, it, 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 the first thing I think we think about is a building probably for most of us, right? When you, when you try to do a word association, all right, uh, church, what's the first thing that pops in your head? Most of us are going to go to the place where maybe if we grew up in church, we're going to think of that church, or we're going to think of that type of church. We're going to think of, uh, you know, if you grew up in a traditional church, you're going to probably think of uh, a s- steeples, and you're going to think of pews, and you're going to think of the worst red or green carpet uh, ever created. And, and you're going to like think of these things, and they're going to be in your head. This is what you think of church. When the word church pops in your head, boom, your mind immediately goes to that because you have this mental image of the word church. And, and we have this mindset that, that church is a place that we go to on Sundays. And it's really easy to lose sight of the fact that, that we aren't just going to church. We are the church. All right, the church is a people, not a place, and God is building his church. It says in 1 Peter 2, 5, you yourselves, all of us, all believers, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That same verb there, built, the same verb that is also used in Matthew 16 when Jesus tells Peter that he is the rock on which he's going to build his church, which the gates of hell cannot even stand against. All right, He's not talking about an earthly building. He's talking about the worldwide invisible church body with him, Jesus Christ, as the head. And, and in the, this version of church Jesus, that Jesus is talking about in Matthew and Peter, uh, that he's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, we all function as priests, all of us. We're all ministers of the gospel. We all function as priests. We're all being built into a spiritual priesthood, it says. And that's one of the reasons why we have church partnership and not church membership, because we are all ministers of the gospel, and we are bringing our, our personal ministry and partnering it with the corporate ministry of the larger body to create the local church. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul describes the church as people dedicated to doing whatever it takes to reach out and help others. We have a responsibility to serve and help others in need as the church. Caring for each other as well as those outside the church is the quickest way to see Jesus change lives. Too often, we see a need and we wait for the pastor or the elders or the staff or someone else to take responsibility, and that's not the way church works. That's not the way church works. First Timothy 5 says, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. 
Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those uh, who are truly widows. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Okay, each one of us has been given skills, uh, abilities, opportunities to serve. In Timothy's church, for example, the women ran a widow's ministry. And, and elders directed church affairs while others were devoted just to teaching and preaching. And, and in the Bible, the church is always a reference to people, not a place. When he's describing this church, he's not talking about a building. He's talking about these people that are doing this work, that are serving the Lord. Because church is a, a people, not a place. The church is a body of believers that live out the gospel in their words and actions. The church is at its best when people inside the building take Jesus' message outside the building and serve those who they meet. We might be having, having church right now, but you are the church. You are the church. When you're fasting and praying at home later, you're having church. When, when you're sharing the love of Jesus with a friend or a family member, you're being the care room of the church. When you're loving and serving people in the community, you're being the church. So church is a people, not a place. The next one we'll look at is ministry happens better in circles than in rows. Ministry happens better in circles than in rows. <clears throat> not only that, but we also believe that smaller circles make a difference as well. I mentioned before that we are fighting this sort of traditional southern church culture. Well, on this point, traditional thinking in American Protestant culture values individual time with God. <clears throat> Tell me if these sound familiar. Uh, like, like go, go in your room, shut the door, and study. Master the art of quiet time, just you and God. Read a book, a devotional yourself. Put on headphones and listen to a podcast or a sermon by yourself. Go sit in a hammock and pray and meditate by yourself. You know, this bleeds into our worship services too. We sit in a, in a classroom style setting, right? We sit, we got the rows of chairs and now you even have like little desks. So it makes it even more like classroom-esque, <laughs> right? You, you can, that just tops it off. You got one person, a teacher, a preacher, uh, up front who's proclaiming the truth that we need to digest while, while you're careful uh, to keep your hands and your thoughts to yourself. Right? We're, we're in a room together, but many of us aren't connecting. So we try to combat that with things like the interactive prayer times, opportunities for you to actually connect with another believer that you didn't come here with. But contrast that idea of, of individualism, of individual personal faith, contrast that idea for just a second with traditional Jewish styles of learning. Okay, Because Jews rarely study the Torah alone. In fact, the study of Torah is typically a social and even communal activity. Quite often, Jews study Jewish texts in pairs, a method known as, I'm going to butcher this, havruta, means fellowship. In, in, in Havruta, the, the pair struggles to understand the meaning of each passage and discusses how to apply it to the larger issues addressed and even to their own lives. You see, studying, wrestling, seeking hard after God is 
is done communally. I think it's best done communally. We, we Protestants, we've kind of missed that with our, with our rows of people, our quiet services, our quiet times with God, and personal spiritual growth plans. We, we inadvertently push people towards an individualistic faith. But at Legacy City, we believe that circles are better than rows. And, and just to be clear, I think Andy Stanley might have been the first one to come up with that phrase. Uh, but even if he's not, I'm pretty sure I read it in his book once, so he gets credit. <laughs> Circles are better than rows. I want you to just think about it. Life lived in community is always better than life alone. Even, even listen, I know some of you are introverts, and you're like, eh, I don't know about that. Listen, I, I, if you look at the creation story in Genesis, God repeatedly states that, that he, was, he was good with what he had created each day, right? And that includes us. He looked at mankind and said that they were good. The only time he says something that he created was not good was when he saw that Adam was alone. So he did something about it. And from then on, God walked daily with Adam and Eve in community. Because the church has always met together in this way. From the very first church in Acts chapter 2, we read this. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together, like a church gathering, sort of like this, and breaking bread in their homes, smaller groups, circles, if you will, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right? They were living life together. No, nobody was on their own. If you are attending this church and you feel alone, can I personally apologize to you right now? Because that is not the culture that we're trying to develop here. Nobody should be involved in a Bible-believing church and feel alone. And so if that's you, let me just encourage you, let somebody know. Re reach out and just say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling kind of lonely. I'm not connecting like, like maybe I want to, and maybe just be a little proactive in that way. But if that's not you, be on the lookout for people that might feel like they're on an island by themselves. All right, the, the main... The, the main... <clears throat> conduit uh, by which that we're, we're going to pour into people's lives is, is this idea of church. When we talk about all the one another's from scripture, we can do that outside of here, but it's so much easier when we're together with other believers to love one another, care for one another, admonish one another, lift one another up. It's so much easier to do that here in the context of the local church. And it's even easier, I believe, when we get it down to a circle, a smaller community. So as a church, we try to move from rows to circles with something that we call missional communities. We're on a break with those at this moment, so uh, I know it's probably bad timing to talk about it. But we're going to be starting a new 13-week semester uh, on the first week of February. You're going to be able to sign up for those uh, new group, groups probably starting uh, maybe this week or, or at the latest next Sunday. And you're going to be able to start signing up for those and getting involved in those. And, and those are going to kick off in just a few weeks. And we would love for you to jump in on those. They are great ways to grow and be in community with other people, living out the ideals from the first church in Acts chapter 2. But it doesn't have to only be there. It can start today with lunch or this afternoon with second Sunday serve or next week with 
dinner or coffee. Find ways to get into smaller groups where you can disciple uh, one another, where you can grow together. This is one area that if, that if we get right, it will help guide so much of our culture in the right direction. That leads us to our last one, our city, our responsibility. Our city, our responsibility. I read uh, this passage from Jeremiah 29 last week, but it fits so well with this cultural phrase I want to read. A part of it, again, uh, we'll start in verse 5. Build houses and live in them. That we're, let me just give you just a quick little backdrop. We're talking, these are, these are Israelites who are in exile in, in Babylon, and so they think they're only going to be there for a short amount of time, and, and, and Jeremiah's telling them, nope, you're going to be there for a while, and here's what you need to do during your time there. So he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. What Jeremiah is saying is don't rent the city. Play the long game. Put down roots. Make this your city. He's even talking about marrying and passing the love of the Lord down to your kids and your grandkids. Jeremiah is telling uh, the, the Israel and, and telling us to leave a legacy. Come on, somebody. He wants us to plug into the city that we're in and leave a Jesus legacy there. <clears throat> I'm originally from the Charlotte area. Uh, traveled all over the country after college for a few years and then ended up here in Greenwood almost uh, nine years ago. And it was a bit of a culture shock. To be honest, um, I was used to being about 10 to 20 minutes away from everything. Concert venues, several malls, an NFL stadium, a theme park, Target. Like, <laughs> just, I was a couple of minutes away. I was five minutes from Target. It was right there. It was just right up the road. And, uh, and, and so I, I started to adjust to rural South Carolina life. I got a truck to fit in with the locals. Um, I got a shotgun because everybody has one. I've used it twice, both times young life clay shooting. Oh, that's another one. I go clay shooting now. So that's a thing that I started doing when I moved here. So I remember for the first five to six years, I would always refer to the Charlotte area as home. Like I would always say these things like, oh, back home we have this. Or when it was time for the holiday, oh, I'm going to go home for Christmas go home for the holidays. And, and, and then when we started this church, that kind of stopped. And I realized Greenwood is my home. This is my city. And as a Christian living in this city, I bear some responsibility. Verse 7 says this, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. I don't believe I'm in exile in Greenwood. Let me just clarify. <laughs> And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Another version says it this way, uh, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to it, uh, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Are we doing this? I mean, I think we are. I sure hope we are. Listen, when we do Second Sunday Serve or we give items for the Four Greenwood Emphasis, like, what are we doing? I think that we're seeking the peace and prosperity of our city, for the welfare of our city. When we provide meals for the homeless at Pathway House and when we serve alongside Connie Maxwell and Project Hope, I, I think that we're seeking the peace and prosperity of our city. But, but, but come on, church, our vision is to be a bigger blessing. 
We want to be at a place where we are doing more. And, and here's what I want to believe. I want to believe that we're going to do things that are so significant that you cannot write the history of this city without mentioning Legacy City Church. And that can only happen if we take responsibility. Let's not wait for someone else to love our city. Let's take responsibility. Don't expect someone else will serve at Second Sunday Serve. You jump in and serve your city. This is our city and our responsibility. Let me come at it a different way. We're wrapping this up. This is, our, this is my last little bit. Every day, our friends and neighbors feel like life is against them. Some feel like God is against them. Many feel like the church maybe is even against them. But imagine if people in Greenwood, Abbeville, 96, wherever town, outlier town you're from, knew that Legacy City was a community of people who was for the city. Even more importantly, what if our church and our lives became a megaphone to let the people around us know that Jesus is for them? Here's what I believe. I mentioned this last week too, uh, but I want to say it again. It bears repeating. It's, it's important, so we want to repeat it. People won't know Jesus is for them if they don't know that we are for them. They need to know that we're for them. Legacy City isn't just a place where we gather for church services. It's who we are as a community as we gather and as we go. Church is a people, not a place. We are committed to, wel to creating welcoming and loving environments on Sundays as well as missional communities all week long at our kitchen tables, in our backyards, in our living rooms, where we can just be in people's corners because we want them to know that Jesus is in their corner. Ministry happens better in circles than in rows. And we serve the city not as an outreach opportunity or service project, but as a way of life because it's our city, our responsibility. Church, we believe that the vision that God has for this church and, and, and we, we believe in, in the vision that he's given us and we believe that lives will be determined by the size of our heart for the people that he's put in front of us. We are for God and for his kingdom. We are for people in this city. Can I leave you with just one more cultural phrase? One more thing. The best is yet to come. God still has so much to do in this city and in this church, and I cannot wait to see how he continues to use you to leave a, a, a Jesus legacy in Greenwood and beyond. Father, we are so thankful for this church. We're so thankful for this series where we get to talk a little bit about our vision, about our culture, about who you've created us to be. We get to just clarify a couple of things and talk about a few things um, that, that drive this home. And God, we just uh, are so thankful for the ministry opportunities that you've put in front of us, for the doors that you've opened and the ability that we have to speak love and life and truth into this community around us. I pray that we will embrace some of these cultural ideas that we talked about. I pray that we will truly seek after people uh, that God, that we will, we will find ourselves in smaller groups where we can uh, disciple one another, love one another. I pray that we will take responsibility for the city that we live in and that we will truly love it with all that we have. And God, I pray that we would remember as we leave out of here that church doesn't stop here. It goes with us because you go with us. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name.